Hello again, I'm John Schrader and welcome to Watch the Media. We talk about media here and we talk about journalism and how and why we cover sports the way we do. That's what bounces around inside my head. One of my favorite people in this Nebraska market is Mike Schaefer. He thinks about and analyzes what we do and how much the business has changed and is constantly changing. You look at the the, the Nebraska market right now, and, and I'm not trying to to speak ill of anything, but if you look at the Nebraska market right now, you have several very strong recruiting sites that hold their own in terms of breaking news right there with the local newspapers. I hope you enjoyed this conversation and don't miss the parts later on about how the Scott Frost story was covered and how Mike says he might change his approach in the future. Mike Schaefer is Nebraska recruiting analyst for Husker 24-7 and has been doing that for a number of years. We're going to talk a little bit about that and other matters that are happening in media in this part of the world. And uh, Mike, thanks for your time. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Okay, so let's get this out of the way. What does a recruiting analyst do on a uh, digital uh, um, site that covers Nebraska sports? <laughs> so how much time do we have we have plenty of time but let's okay let's right. do the yeah. succinct let's... version here shall we <laughs> oh okay so i can't filibuster the entire time on it. <laughs> no. no i mean it's a it's a constantly evolving thing i mean when i started in 2011 the job now is is very much different and you utilize all the different tools that pop up because of it and uh one of those tools is something like twitter that has radically changed the way that my job operated, you know, even back in 2011 uh, compared to now. And so um, to, to just kind of basically get the parameters out there of, of what I feel like I do is I try to track what Nebraska coaches are doing on the recruiting trail uh, in periods like this right now, which is a contact period. Coaches can go out on the road. They can visit high schools. Uh, they can stop by and talk to 2023 recruits. They can, uh, you know, the term that's used in the industry is bump into uh, 2024 and 2025 and 2026 recruits. They can't actually meet them in a room and sit down and have a 30 minute conversation, but they just happen to see them in the passing period and, you know, can say hi and whatnot over those five minutes. So, uh, <laughs> you know, a lot of that happens and it's just kind of to track who Nebraska is interested in, you know, who they're targeting for their next recruiting class in the next cycle or the current recruiting class. So that's a portion of it. And that goes on when these contact periods happen, you know, when we're not in the months of December, January, or April and May, it's a different job because those coaches can't be in those high schools. So then you're trying to track who they're talking to, whether it's through text message or DMs or phone calls. And so you have to have a pretty good Rolodex of, you know, people to check in with, coaches around the country, trainers around the country. You need to be able to have, you know, sources on Nebraska staff that can point you in the right direction because the last thing you want to do is write a story about a kid that they have absolutely no interest in. And you get the fan base excited about a four-star kid that they've never talked to. So hmm. it's, a, it's a really interesting job. I feel like over time I've gotten better with it. Uh, and at the same time, it's it's one that constantly challenges me. I've, I've found things that I thought that I was good at five years ago that are no longer relevant. Uh, so it's it's just stuff like that. So it's like I said, constantly evolving. But the heart of it, you're just trying to track and just suss out who Nebraska is trying to put on their roster for future seasons. So you have a new coaching staff. Do you have to then learn this new staff and get to know them better and, oh, and yeah. get inside? You got to learn this new staff. You have to quickly try to develop relationships and find people who want to work with you that want to talk with you because it's not always a two-way street. Uh, you know, sometimes you feel like there's somebody that that could be particularly helpful for you and they're not interested uh, in, in having those conversations or they're strongly connected to one of your competitors. And so they feel like they don't really, you know, have to have that relationship with you because they have it with somebody else that you're directly competing against for the same information. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of the last month plus for me has just been, um, you know, trying to put a foot in the, in the door and, and kind of, you know, kick it open a little bit and introduce myself and, and introduce why I feel like I have value to them because that's the other thing. Nobody wants a relationship where all it is, is, 
is me sending a text like, hey, where are you at right now? Who are you recruiting? Who are you talking to? They don't want that. I mean, you you have to present yourself as someone who has value to them too. And so uh, it's it's really interesting to try to grow those relationships. You know, when I first started, it was very daunting. It was extremely intimidating, the idea that, oh, I've got to go try to, you know, and when I first started, I was 24 years old. And so it's like, what do I have to offer this 45-year-old, 20-plus year assistant coach? Like, why is he going to talk to me? But you learn that these guys, sometimes they don't have people to talk to about this job. Sometimes they're bored on the road and they're waiting for their next flight. And so they're just going to call you randomly. I mean, that, that happens far more than people probably realize where you're just kind of like the time killing device when they're stuck in traffic in L.A. And they just want someone to talk to. And people that can talk recruiting at the level that they can, there's not that many of them. And so you you sort of actually build relationships by just being in a similar world, being part of that Venn diagram. You're both in that same little center circle, even though you're both on the opposite ends of what you're trying to do. Um, you know, that helps in terms of developing those relationships. So that that all takes a little bit of time. But I feel like so far with the Matt Rule staff, I like the direction where things are headed. I can imagine the um, L.A. Times reporter is sitting in their office and um, a city council member calls up and says, oh, I'm waiting for a flight. I'm, I'm, I've got a little <laughs> bit of extra time. Let's talk about some of those really uh, difficult issues that we're yeah, talking yeah, about. Yeah. That'd be great, wouldn't it? Yeah. Speaking of that, Mike, uh, where does this fit into what we call journalism? Um, you're a trained journalist. You went to journalism college. You write. You do all of the stuff that journalists do. Where where does the recruiting analyst fit into that world? Well, you know, it's it's interesting because for the longest time, this was viewed so much as sort of like a niche thing or kind of off the spectrum of journalism. I mean, there's there's plenty of people that have covered Nebraska football that sort of scoffed at the idea of spending time covering recruiting because that wasn't for them and that wasn't real news. And quite frankly, you look around, who's covering the coaching changes? Who's breaking that news? It's a lot of recruiting guys. It's a lot of recruiting sites. You look at the the, the Nebraska market right now, and, and I'm not trying to, to speak ill of anything, but if you look at the Nebraska market right now, you have several very strong recruiting sites that hold their own in terms of breaking news right there with the local newspapers. Like the funnel of where information comes from right now seems to come more from the internet side of things than it does from your old world sort of media. And because of that, I think attitudes towards this stuff has radically changed to where if you want to get into covering college football, if you want to be a beat reporter, if you want to be Parker Gabriel, who I think balanced this as well as anybody I've ever seen do it, you got to wear both hats. You got to be a beat reporter for the team and you got to cover recruiting because covering recruiting gets you access to other things more than likely and gives you information that's going to help you in terms of the job, in terms of covering the beat. It's going to provide a familiarity with new players that come in. And we see more and more the the system of, you know, getting there and needing two years to develop, to be able to contribute to the team that's gone. So if you can provide, you know, interesting biographical information of a freshman wide receiver that goes for 125 yards and two touchdowns in a week zero game, that gives you a leg up when you're writing your profile of the same kid or when you're trying to explain on a podcast why you felt like this was going to be a guy that could help right away. The world has changed so much in that regard. You have to be able to cover recruiting. I don't know any person in the Nebraska media that only solely views themselves as just a game-by-game -game beat reporter anymore. That's gone. That world is gone. And the way we consume sports is gone. And, and I just don't think it, it exists like that anymore. The idea of us in a journalism college teaching um, writing of game stories seems so antiquated, right? Yeah. Because even the way we cover games, sure we do. Yes, he scored a touchdown, threw three touchdown passes, threw for 421 yards. How we deliver that information is so um, fluid and um, and the, the idea that, okay, we've got to you know, get, get that inverted pyramid and we've got to get that information and let's work our way down there. And, and no, boom, 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 boom. Here it is. And if you're reading it, you're reading really 
the second day story the first day, really, aren't you? I mean, that's kind of the mm -hmm. way it is because we've all seen it. We've all heard it. We've got it on our phones. We all know what happened five minutes ago. Yeah. I mean, there's just there's there's not really that need to sort of pull the whole thing together, because even if someone didn't watch the game, they can pull up their their app look at the box score, look at the scoring summary and put it together themselves in about four seconds. And so because of that, what people clamor for and what I see where I see, you know, some of the strongest response of what's going on right now in terms of just game coverage is just for quick analysis of what people saw. If, you know, if you're providing right after the, the final score goes up, and this is what we do at, at Husker 24-7, you know, we want to provide some, like, quick analysis of what occurred in that game that goes just beyond who scored and how many yards happened. It's Nebraska figured out pretty quickly in the second half they couldn't run the ball, and so they had to start chucking it down the field to Trey Palmer to stick around with Purdue. Here's why they had to score as quickly as possible. Here's what the game – you know, so that you're you're trying to provide that analysis – to give somebody a reasoning for what they saw or what to take away. So they mm -hmm. go into the next week with that team more so than here's, you know, what you saw and we know you saw it, but here's that information anyways. Yeah. You know, I, I, I believe this. And I thought in, in the beginning when, you know, I'm much older than you are. So I was around actually when the internet was invented and when the World Wide web was created. And so it was my notion then that the people who will adapt to that business faster and easier are broadcasters because broadcasters are trained to interpret information immediately, deliver it immediately. So I think those people like you who have uh, sort of that broadcaster mentality where you can interpret it and deliver it very quickly are the ones who have survived, and if that's a fair word, in this business because you're right. We don't have the advantage of, yes, we still do this. They still publish newspapers. Some people read them in print. You get it on your doorstep. But the the idea that Sam McEwen of the World Herald uh, is going to um, only uh, spend time after that game just writing a thousand words about that football game that appears in the Sunday morning paper is nuts. I mean, that's so, so past its time that it's almost funny to talk about it as a recent development, right? It's just... Yeah, it's it's just you know, a different sort of a different world than, and, and you have to, what I remind myself and, and I appreciate the compliment that, that you gave me earlier. I don't know that I have that quick of a brain that's able to, to process and disseminate. I think I'm just more willing to put my foot in it and just move on if I really do it. Well, but, you got to go for um, it, man. I, I have found that one of the surest ways to figure out if you're on the right track for what you're doing in terms of providing coverage is if you have another, you know, if you have a, so I'm a big Vikings fan. So one of the ways I try to curtail my coverage for Nebraska is looking at what is it that I do when the Vikings play? What am I consuming immediately after that game? I'm not looking for the game story, obviously, because I just read it, but I kind of want like the, the sort of in the picture of, you know, Oh, that linebacker stood out. I'd never seen him before. You know, they highlight that. Not necessarily a profile, but just like a quick, you know, three-paragraph thing about Brian Osamoa, you know, appearing out of nowhere and picking up that fumble, that kind of thing. And so I think because as I was going through journalism school, I sort of noticed like this is what I was gravitating towards. And you could kind of feel that shift at that time. It probably allowed me to be a little bit more capable of of doing that and i do feel like so much of sports media is imitation right like you you see someone and i think so much of media and writing and creating is imitating you see something and you're like oh i really like that and maybe either consciously or unconsciously when you go to create something you're borrowing from something that you like and so you're continuing on that path and so i you know I feel like I do that a lot. And so anything that I have done successfully in my career is because I just consume so much of everything else and I'm able to retain and filter what I like, what I don't like, how I would do it, what I would have done differently, why mine would be better because my ego is so big, that kind of thing. <laughs> People ask you this all the time, I'm sure, Mike. Um what do you need to do to be a journalist? And then you say you need to work hard and you need to, to be bright and you need to be curious and all those things. And, and among those uh, adjectives I include is adaptable. 
you have to be adaptable. Tomorrow, it's going to be a little different. So figure out what you have to do tomorrow yeah. to make this job interesting and fun for the listener, for the reader, for the for the consumer, for yourself, right? You've got to figure out what's going to be working tomorrow because um, yesterday doesn't matter. Yeah, that, that's absolutely correct. And that's across every industry. That's sports talk. That's, you know, the written word. That's if you're broadcasting and you're look at Sports Center. Sports Center from 1995 when I was a kid and waking up and watching at seven in the morning every day before trotting off across the field to North Park Elementary is wildly different than Sports Center is now. Yeah. I mean, think about it this way. They will have these anchors up there for about a couple minutes to introduce a clip or a few different things. And then they're throwing it off to the side package to introduce a personality. Yep. The personalities were Keith Fulberman and Dan Patrick when I was a kid. They did everything. I mean, it was, you know, they were the ones cracking the jokes and, and all of that. And instead, now it's just kind of like you've got these hosts and they've almost washed it to the point where they're you can just swap them in and out. And they sort of function as a thing. But really what their job is, is to sort of set up Ryan Clark to appear to talk about breaking down what happened on this Joe Burrow throw and how he noticed the safety was here. And he's able to look him off and found T Higgins in the corner over here. It's, it's so remarkable to me that, you know, we talk about newspapers a lot, but it's because they have the hardest time. It's such a physical thing. You can't adapt that in the same way that you can adapt a broadcast or you can adapt sports talk radio. I mean, sports talk radio barely existed when in, in, in the Midwest for Nebraska when I was a kid. Now there's like, you know, you don't have to work that hard to find a show. And that doesn't even get into the podcasts that are available everywhere. Mike Schaefer is the Nebraska recruiting analyst for Husker 24-7 Sports, part of the massive CBS Sports uh, family and the Paramount Plus global family of uh, media companies. I'm John Schrader, and this is Watch the Media. You do a lot of radio, Mike. Um, you appear on I don't know how many different programs, uh, and, and, and you did. Now, I'm going to flatter you again, uh, and I mean this honestly. Um, you did a show a couple of years ago with Connor Happer for a short time. I don't even know if it's been a couple of years. And uh, at the time, I don't know if I told you this, but at the time I thought, man, this guy should do radio every day. Uh, this, this works. There's a, there's a, it's a, it's difficult finding chemistry and it's difficult finding people who are actually good at it five days a week for two or three hours at a time. Have you uh, considered doing more regular radio and is it something that drives you? Yeah, I mean, I, it's definitely something in the back of my mind. Like I, I just spent the entire of 2022 not having a radio show for the first time since 2018, I believe, because even before that, the the Happer and Schaefer show, um, I had the the recruiting hour, which was it was only one hour, and it was, it was largely supposed to be structured around recruiting, but by the end of it, it sort of just turned into like a 45 minute Mike Schaefer experience, wherever we were going to go with it, we were going to go with it. And so not having that daily thing, not having that sort of um, avenue or the the pulpit, if you will, was a bit of a shock for me last January and February because stuff would happen and I'd want to opine on it, but Twitter can only take you so far. Mm -hmm. My friends that don't work in the sports media have actual jobs that require their attention. So they can't just, listen to me send like uh you know long text or leave them a voicemail or whatever so yeah i, I mean I, I definitely had to sort of adapt at that time to you know i don't have this sort of spot anymore to just bloviate as i see fit uh and but my thing is when i stepped away and i, I had the opportunity to to stick around with the ticket and and i believe you know with with dp and what they have going on over there i'd have the opportunity if i wanted to, to walk back into it um with open arms if, if we found the right situation. But for me, so much of that show was being able to work off of Connor Happer and a lot of really good radio, in my opinion, is the chemistry between two people and the chemistry between those two people. And sometimes it's more, sometimes it's three, sometimes it's four, but I, I really feel like the best shows, it's usually two. And then you have that guest that comes in every now and then, or, a, you know, a producer or whatever. A lot of it to me is just, 
you think about some of the the best times when you're younger and you're just going out with friends and you're having those conversations and you're not being recorded, you know, but you're just having a conversation and you're having fun and it can go a bunch of different places. I mean, when I knew that show had reached people in a way that was different was when we had an entire segment uh, because someone had gotten James Franklin's name wrong nationally. They called him Jeff Franklin. And we looked this up and Jeff Franklin is the creator of Full House. And so we spent an entire segment, one sort of making fun of that. And then imagining Jeff Franklin taking over USC football. And then it like led to people like sending us, this is where Jeff Franklin lives because he created Full House. And then we're talking about which Full House characters would be on the staff at USC for Jeff Franklin. And like people were so engaged with it. And it was 15 throwaway minutes in September and yet another lost year for Nebraska football. But that like people really responded to that because they just had a good time with it. Because they can imagine sitting around at the bar, sitting at a friend's house, and someone cracks a dumb joke, and all of a sudden everything's just off to the races with these sort of conversations. And to me, that's what enjoyable sports talk is. It doesn't always have to be Nebraska's going to win this game on Saturday, and they're going to do it because they're going to run for 225 yards, and they're going to get right behind that offensive line. They're going to go right down the field against Missouri. And, you know, it, it doesn't have to be that. It can be a lot more sort of fun and fluid and and can go different places and that show was such a great avenue for it and i don't want to just do sports talk to do it i want to find the next version of connor happer because i i need someone to carry me and they gotta have a strong back because i am a lot of dead weight <laughs> but you know when when that happens i'll definitely find an avenue back to daily radio i have no doubt about it you ask any program director in the history of radio, and they will tell you it is difficult to find really good pairings. And when they do, doggone it, you as the host, you better go in there and make sure they're taking care of you because they want to keep you as long as possible because it is difficult to find that that kind of chemistry. Um, okay, so let me ask a little bit about that. You, you do a podcast. You guys do that two times a week? Uh, yeah, you know, during the season, it's two to three times a week. I, I started doing something on Sundays after games where I'd bring on a different media person and we just kind of roll through the game and we'd hit some of the, the big questions. It's kind of a Sunday morning analysis thing because I felt like there was a little bit of a market for that. I thought that it was a little underserved. Um, and I, I think we'll be doing that again in 2023. We have the hype cast that has just exploded in terms of popularity. And it was another very dumb idea. It was basically like, what if we just do a show where we're going to sort of preview the game, but it ultimately just turns into making some dumb predictions at the very end and having some fun with it, like being light with it. And, you know, that has, has taken off. And then we have kind of our flagship show, the Husker 24-7 podcast, which is almost assuredly once a week and sometimes two, three times a week, depending on how much news comes up. And, you know, it's John, you want to talk about adapting in business. Brunson and I started that, I want to say we're up to over 400 some episodes now. We started that just he and I at my kitchen table. He shows up with a soundboard that he had gotten from a friend of his that had been in radio for a while that just happened to have it. Shows up with a soundboard. We each went and bought like these crappy $35 snowball mics from Best Buy. And we're sitting at my kitchen table in Lincoln and we're doing a podcast and we're trying to get the echo to to work out a little bit and you know we're we're just sort of like two idiots just putting this thing together and we had so much fun with it and you know I don't want to throw anybody under the bus but we had people at CBS and 24 7 sports that were basically like why the hell are you guys doing this you're wasting your time this is going nowhere now what we're being asked to do three podcasts a week why because it makes so much money for them but in 2016, whenever, or 2015, whenever we started this, it was kind of like, yeah, I mean, that's cute, but don't you think there's a better use of your time here? Like that shows you that people who run the sports media world don't necessarily know exactly how it's gonna go. They don't know where things are gonna be or what it's gonna take off of people. And so that podcast was just born out of Brunson and I have it. Like we would have those conversations over the phone. I have never talked on the phone with anybody in my life as much as I talked to Michael Brooks. And, you know, we would have these long, dumb conversations. 
then it just sort of became like, well, maybe we should record this. And then it just kind of became a thing. And then we hired Brian Christopherson and now there's a third voice in there and it's even more fun. And, you know, there was a, there was a very real chance that if we had just listened to, to a couple of our bosses in, in 2016, then we're like everybody else just trying to pick it up when it's like, oh, well, maybe we should have a podcast in 2018, you know? And those those couple years allow you to kind of work out the kinks and to, to figure out a routine. And, you know, I, I feel like I'm so much better hosting stuff because I sort of became the pseudo host of that podcast. Let's talk a little bit about covering the Huskers. Um, you may know this, that I've been somewhat critical of the way we've covered this this team. Um, the Scott Frost era, I think, is a case study uh, for um, for hopes and dreams that get blown up and how how it's covered. Um, do you do you think we we did a good job? And I'll say we do you think we did a good job of 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 those four plus years uh, of putting the whole Scott Frost thing in its proper place i don't think that's an articulate way to put it but um could we I have think done I know better what you mean. yeah well i i think no matter the situation you can always sort of do it better and you can always sort of revise it after the fact of what you could have done um i think i i think as i look at it for me personally and this is sort of where i'll probably take this is what i could have done differently privately in 2019 is probably when I started to feel some real reservation about things. And I, I've talked about this a lot now, but after the Purdue game, I distinctly remember, you know, looking at BC and Brunson and being like, why is this going to work? They went to West Lafayette. They had this lead. They couldn't hold it. Like, why do we think, like, do we think that Scott Frost is, and my, my whole thing, you know, ignore everything, all the rumors, everything off the field, all of that crap. On Saturdays, they were such a net negative on the sidelines. And, it, you know, I feel like I didn't do a good enough job voicing my opinion on that and then backing why I felt like that. Because I don't worry so much about the reaction to what my opinion is going to be, because there's always going to be a reaction. You're going to have the people that are going to agree with you. You're going to have the people that are going to call you an idiot. You're going to get that. And I think the more comfortable you can become with acknowledging that that's going to happen, no matter what, um, the easier it is for you to be a little more blunt or a little more honest in your assessment. And I regret, and I thought that I was do doing a good job hinting towards it, but I, I regret that I wasn't more blunt in my game day assessments of things. I mean, I go back to his first year and I had questions about stuff that he was doing. I remember I would tweet about it or I would talk about it and it would immediately be like, you got to give him time. He's only been a head coach for a couple years. And it's like, you're down 24 and you score against Wisconsin. And it's the fourth quarter. And there's still, you know, a handful of minutes left on the clock. You're down 24. John, when you're down 24 in the fourth quarter, and you don't go for two after you score a touchdown, you should be crucified for it. Because the only way to get back in that game is three scores, eight points each time. That's what the math tells you. It's very simple. Mm -hmm. Every head coach should know this by this point. Scott Frost elected for the extra point. I think there was like three and a half or four minutes left, whatever. I remember tweeting this out and it's just like this, crush of people were basically like oh man I, you're just nitpicking here and it's like no i mean these are real things because there's going to be another time where they're down 24 and they damn well have to go for that two-point conversion and it might just be because it's in the back of my mind watching minnesota vikings come back from what they were against the colts you have to have a coach that understands the situation even when you're getting blown out, even when you're not likely to win, you have to play the percentages that give you the best chance to win. And when you sort of see that early on, and then you combine that with other sort of coaching things or clock management issues or different things of that nature, it creates a pattern. And then that pattern becomes a history. And then that history, when you're sitting there, and this is a real life example, when you're sitting there in Champaign the night before the week zero game in 2021 and they put on the television and no one knows why BTN decided to show the 2019 Nebraska Iowa game at that point in time and 
where Brian Christopherson and I are watching it and you're thinking this team is so undisciplined. They like, they cannot get out of their own way. And then you think to yourself, Nebraska plays tomorrow. Are they going to look that different than that 2019 team? And we all know what week zero looked like. And so I just, I, I go back and I think about it. And I just hope that as I go forward with Matt rule, when I notice these things, if there's, and this was very specifically, you know, game management, I do a better job of pointing out, like, this was a mistake. This is a continued mistake. We've seen this, this time and that time and this time and that time, because even though four years isn't a lot of time, four years is enough to have a pattern. Four years is enough to tell you whether Scott Frost has the ability to make in-game adjustments. One of the things I regret not going back to do, Nebraska barely ever won a game when they were trailing at halftime. And there's a reason for that, because in the second half, they tended to be pretty bad in terms of adjusting to what mm -hmm. their opponent was doing or adjusting to the adjustment. I mean, there's all these different ways that you could show it. And I feel like I just didn't do a good enough job in 2021, um, you know, going through that season, explaining this is why I'm apprehensive that even if Trev Alberts brings him back, this is what he is. You know, we haven't seen a change from his game management from 2018 through 2021. Why is it magically going to get better in 2022? You can go hire all the veteran coaches you want. He kind of is what he is right now. And it's easy for me to say that in 2023, and I acknowledge that. But I look back on it, and those are the sort of things that I regret that I didn't do a better job with. Now, there's other areas in there where, you know, I don't always go to the press conferences. I want to make that clear. And I think one of the things that fans love to do is talk about how there aren't hard enough questions asked because they're so emotionally invested in it. They just want to go into that press room and they just want to start yelling at them. And that's not how that works. It really isn't. You don't get good responses that way. You don't get good answers. And you really don't learn anything if you go in with an emotional question and you get an emotional response. Mm -hmm. Really what you're doing after the game is you're trying to look for information and that gets clouded when it's covered in a bunch of emotion about, well, why did this happen? And you're an idiot for doing it. You know, if you phrase it, not exactly like that, but if you make it so the emotion overtakes the question that you're trying to ask, you're not going to get the information that you're looking for. I think one of the things that you've done here that I would propose, and it's, it's not always that easy, is to do self-scouting. You know, the coaches and teams, they do it all the time. You know, they scout the other opponents, but they have to scout themselves. Mm -hmm. And I think we as journalists and broadcasters and content creators need to self-scout and look and say, you know what, we could have done that better. Let's do it better. And you made an interesting uh, comment about, you know, and I hope I do this with Matt Rule. Uh, people have asked me, uh, friends and associates, what do you think about Matt Rule? And I said, well, you look at his resume and it looks like it's a good decision, but come and ask me in October. After I've seen them play for a few weeks, let me know. Because as you mentioned, the frost problems popped up from day one. Mm -hmm. And you think, okay, all right, they're going to get better. He's, he's only been a head coach for a couple of years. They're going to get better. He's going to learn how to manage the game better. Or he's not going to go for fourth down again on his own 43-yard line. Is he in a close game uh, in the third quarter? Is he going to do that again? But it didn't sort of, sort of change. But we, you know, all we can control is what we do and how we – cover the games and how we do it. So I think your, your introspection is good. And I, and I'm hoping that everybody else is doing the same because we really do need to do better uh, because I think it's unfair. And this is my opinion. And I'm not, you know, this is not me telling Mike Schaefer, this, this is my opinion. It's unfair to, to our industry and it's unfair to the audience, to the consumer to say after the fact, I knew there was a problem and and I didn't report it. It's unfair. And you've acknowledged that. It, it's something that we should have done better and we will next time, I think. So that's my view. Yeah, I think, I think some of the difficulty, and this is again, just me, is that I feel like sometimes I dance around what I want to say and I don't just go through the door if that makes sense. And I, I feel like I'm a relatively blunt individual. And sometimes I'll get into this pattern of where I, I feel like people can pick up the context clues and sometimes they can't. Sometimes you do need the hammer home the, the point. And 
Um, that's something that, you know, hopefully I can do a better job of going forward. I'm trying to think if I have a great example off the top of my head, and I don't know that I do, but I, I know that all of November of 2021 and, and before Trev Alberts had announced it, I basically felt like there's really no reason he should come back. And I wrote it. I mean, I, I remember a column I wrote after the Oklahoma game where it was basically like, if all we ever talk about is if they're close, we're talking about the fact that they're not there and we won't acknowledge it. And, you know, that's that's a point that I'm trying to make, but I'm not hammering that home enough, you know, that sort of thing. And so I, I feel like for me, if I'm doing the self-scouting thing, it's to be a little bit more confident to maybe go to the next level of saying, not only is this an issue, it's not going to be fixed. And the only way to fix it is to simply move on. And I wish that I would have done more of that in October and November of 2021 than I probably did, where I was probably saying things like, yeah, I don't see how it's going to get a lot better, but you know, that decision is going to be in Trev Albert's hands. That's just kind of a, when you say that, that's what you get a lot. And people hear that and they acknowledge that. And it is a true statement. The decision mm -hmm. is in Trev Albert's hands. But what isn't true about that is when you're actually thinking, yeah, they're not going to, it doesn't matter. They can swap out as many assistant coaches as they want. He can have his third offensive coordinator. We can pretend like he's going to give up play calling, which is the only thing that he cares about. And it's not really going to make that big of a difference. And I probably need to be more full-throated in that regard. Um, but it's it's hard to get yourself there, too, because there's always in the back of your mind, what if it works? What if this goes forward? Because you know who probably would have been pretty difficult to deal with had he had success? Scott Frost, yeah. because after the first couple of years, I mean, I don't remember which game it was where he kind of had this press conference where he talked about like, he, you know, he just sort of had this smirk about how, you know, things are going to turn around and you guys don't believe in it, but it's coming. And when it does, you're going to be shocked by it. Like I, I have little doubt that it would have been equally as adversarial had he had success because of sort of his personality and his constant belief that people were sort of out to get him and doubted him, even when that wasn't largely true, especially at the beginning. I feel sorry for Frost in some respect, because I don't honestly believe from the very beginning that he ever really enjoyed the job. Um, he just seemed joyless almost always when you're around him. And again, I don't know if that's my personal view, uh, but it, it I, I look back at it and I think, man, Matt Rule appears to have joy in this job. In the first 30 seconds, I see this guy and I never really felt that with Frost. And again, that might just be his demeanor. I always felt like he tried really hard to, mm -hmm. to put this thing here and I'm not going to let you into my world and there's not a chance you're ever going to know how I really feel. I think, you know, there's a difference for those guys in the sense that when you're coming home as the prince that is promised, there's a lot more sort of pressure that comes with that internally um, that Matt Rule will. Matt Rule has pressure. He knows he has pressure. He likes that pressure. He invites the pressure. But the one thing that he has that Scott Frost didn't when he started that job, he's failed before. He's bottomed out and he's come back from it. Mm -hmm. And I, I do think that we'll see Scott Frost coach again. I've gone back and forth on that. There was a time where I felt like he would just go away forever because that's just sort of how his mentality felt like it was towards the end. But he will be a better person because he failed at Nebraska. Mm -hmm. He will be a better coach because he failed at Nebraska. I do believe that. Yeah, I believe there's a lot of life lessons in there. But it requires that self-scouting. It requires, why didn't this work? What do I do differently? And I think Matt Rule has some of that because of what happened with Carolina. Because if you look at his his track record, and I listened to a really informative podcast where he talked with Peter Schrager about what he felt like kind of went wrong there. This is a guy that has self-scouted what went wrong with the Panthers. And I think the first indication to him is he's a tried and true college football coach. And you will not see him go back to the NFL. That's not his game. And I think because of that, I don't know that it's going to, you know, unequivocally work to a great degree at Nebraska. I'm not going to promise that, but he's a better coach for what he went through in Carolina than before. it. Do you think the audience here is um, accustomed to and willing to accept the fact that the media will be tougher? The language would be um, tougher on the football coach because of the cultural and the culture and history of Nebraska football? Uh, maybe. 
I mean, I, I think it just really sort of depends on their own personal opinion of the, the individual. Um, you know, I, I think that it, it was harder for some to accept with Scott Frost because, you know, he was quote, one of us and quote, you would get that a lot. You, and then I think one of the disservices for everybody and uh, again, not trying to, to point out any specific media members or any specific media institutions, but there became a narrative somewhere around 2020 that if not Scott Frost, can anybody do it? And I mean, you talk about ridiculous, like absolutely massively over the top, but that became a pervasive narrative. And so then what happens is you sort of develop for some in the fan base to buy into that you develop this protectionism thing where you got to protect Scott Frost because not only are you protecting Scott Frost, you're protecting the soul of Nebraska football and you're protecting something that you've invested so much time and so much energy into and that you really live and you breathe and you can't allow yourself to think that this couldn't work out because you believe in this idea that if not for the native son, if not for the former national champion, if not for Tom Osborne's guy at the end of his career, Nebraska football could cease to be anything that you want it to be. It could, it could be wandering in the wilderness for 20 to 30 years, which is just absurd. Absolutely absurd. But there's people that talk themselves into that. Absolutely. There's no doubt about it. And then it's hard to get those people on board with the idea that you're not attacking a football coach or attacking a football program when you're asking him why he's making some of the decisions that he's choosing to make or what went into the decision to, you know, go with this guy instead of that guy. Or, you know, I, I there's so much of an adversarial relationship that people want in this. They sort of want the media and the coach to be adversarial to a degree. And they want themselves and the media to be adversarial to a degree because of the climate that we're in. And that only gets pushed on them more and more, whether it's political, whether it's anything, you know, that's part of it. That I, I think it just sort of creates this kind of imbalance where it's kind of like, well, are you for us or are you against us? And there's really no us. And you understand that, John. There's an us in the sense that there's a media and there's an us that there's a sense that there's a football team. But I don't go into anything I write, whether it's an us or a them. I'm just doing my job. And there's not even an us that I'm from Nebraska and I grew up and I watched Scott Frost win a national championship. That didn't equate into anything that mattered to me when I'm covering his team in 2022. You know, so it, it's just a, it's a mindset thing that I think individuals are always going to sort of determine whether they feel like a coach is being attacked whether it's fair or unfair. Some people are always going to think the Nebraska media doesn't ask tough questions or doesn't try or doesn't want to expose anything or just wants to be their friend because they're worried about losing their access. If I could take a quick second here, nobody in the Nebraska media is worried about losing their access because they're not worried that Keith Mann's going to call them up one day and tell them they're banned from North Stadium or they're banned from Memorial Stadium. That's not going to happen. There's a lot of trust in Keith Mann. There's not a lot of concern there. So people can keep putting it on Twitter or putting it on message boards or saying it on the radio. No one's worried that they're going to lose their access. Sorry, I went on a long rant there. No, I appreciate it. And um, what there's a couple of things that were roiling in my head as you were talking. And one of them is, do you, do you sit around and intellectualize what you do and what other people do? I mean, you obviously have sort of analyzed um, not just what you do, but how it fits in the big picture. You think a lot about that? Uh, I probably do, maybe more than most do. I probably am, um, I, I think I'm probably a little more self-aware or a little more, um, put more time into to thinking about how these things, how these opinions get formed or why people think the way that they do. Um, I don't know that it's like a conscious desire to do that, but it's just sort of how I am. I like to deconstruct things. I like to wonder where an opinion comes from if I don't understand it, if I don't have it myself. So then I try to figure out why someone might think that. And then I try to work my way back to, to where the disconnect could be, that kind of thing. Um, I don't know. I, I, I like spending my time thinking about these. I like your show. I like listening to other media people because we're all so radically different 
even if we have the same job title. We, you know, the way I talk and the way I react and how I do my job is completely different than someone else in my same network at 24-7 Sports. I look around how 24, how Husker 24-7 reacts to things versus our Iowa site versus the Minnesota site versus the Alabama site. And I'm endlessly fascinated by that. So I guess I'm sort of fascinated by the way people think and respond. Yeah, and one of the reasons I asked that question is that, as you know, I'm a Nebraska native, but I really learned the business in San Francisco for the mm -hmm. most part, which is a considerably different vibe. Many of the people are from elsewhere. They're, they're not natives. They're not generationally um, tied to Nebraska football, as, a, as an example, or even the, you know, the 49ers are the biggest, biggest dog in the kennel bigger than the Giants even who've won three World Series, but the 49ers have been there forever since the 1940s. That's about as close as you get to this generational, as the Giants came in the 50s, the A's came in the 60s, um, the Warriors came in the 60s. They all came from someplace else mostly. So, But the media um, sometimes is a little too abrasive, right? Sometimes, you mm -hmm. know, Philadelphia, Boston, other places that have reputation, Chicago for being, but in big markets, it isn't that you don't worry about pissing the fans off. You don't worry about pissing the coaches off. You don't worry about pissing the general managers off. It's bigger than that. And sometimes it gets a little more abrasive. It gets a little too confrontational. And that's, that's what I learned. So when I came here, it was like, Oh, we're not going to confront this guy. We're not going to do this. We're going to be really nice. We're going to spend again. I'm going off on a tangent. Now we're going to spend two months firing Mike Riley Basically, we're going to write that Mike Riley is not Tom Osborne. I know Tom Osborne, and Mike Riley is never going to be Tom Osborne. And then everybody shows up at a press conference and hugs him and, and shakes his hand. First of all, Riley shows up at the press conference on the day he gets fired. That tells you a lot about him, right? But then it's everything nicey-nicey-nicey after they spent two months trying to get this guy fired. That is a disconnect in my view. So there's a there's a there's extremes here, and I felt like maybe my perception was that that we were at the other end of the extreme here after I'd spent 35 years being at this other this end. Have you considered that a lot of that disconnect could also just be professional sports versus college sports? Could be. I've not I've not spent a lot of time in other markets beyond just popping in and covering different games and you know watching different reporters react to their coach at press conferences that kind of thing. I feel like the way college is covered versus the way that the NFL or the NBA or Major League Baseball is covered is just different. Now, that could change with some of the changes that are coming to college sports um, and, and the idea of NIL and, and all of that and the expectations that that sort of creates. But I, I do wonder when people talk about those sort of markets, they're all professional teams. They're all built on the sort of kind of burgeoning popularity of the sports and those teams from the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. They've been there a long time. And it's it's always been large. Like if it does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Whereas Absolutely. the Nebraska media, if you go back to 1978, it's Mike Babcock and like three other guys hanging out at practice, just kind of sitting there watching Tom Osborne run things. And then you go to 1995 and you go to the, the national championship game, maybe you're up to about 12 to 13 people. And now it's sort of exploded where it's like you have all of these people, but you don't necessarily have that long background to it and you don't have that professional mindset. Mm -hmm. Could it be as simple as that? I mean, I don't, I don't know what it looks like at Alabama or at Texas or at, you know, some of these places. USC, I would regard differently because that's a collegiate professional Absolutely. team in a market mm -hmm. where, you know, they didn't have a professional team. So it got covered differently. But I wonder in more of the college towns, the Tuscaloosas, the Austins, the, the Lincolns, where your media market just isn't as big by mm -hmm. default, if it sort of plays out differently because of that. Have you, yeah. have you thought about that? I have. Absolutely. And you look at um, New York city, what's the great college football team in New York city. What's the great college football team in Boston? What's the great college team in Philadelphia? What's the great college team in San Francisco? Well, it's a little different because Stanford and Cal both have mm -hmm. reasonably high profiles relative to that, but not even close to 49ers, Warriors, Giants. And also a, a lot of it, frankly, is 
And again, you're a Nebraska native. I'm a Nebraska native. Most of the people who work in San Francisco aren't from there. Most of the people who work in L.A. are not from there. Uh, New York, they're not from there. Uh, Boston probably are from there. Uh, Philadelphia, maybe, right? But, But it's a different groove, right? You don't have that emotional, visceral Mm-hmm. response to the teams like you do if you grew up around them and you know you've you said you, I've got to separate that it doesn't matter if I grew up here and went to school mm-hmm. here that's not the way I do my job but inevitably I think for some it is yeah I I, I think that's I think that's definitely um a fair way to, to kind of look at it I'm trying to think how many Nebraska media members I'm aware of at least in the last decade since I've been covering the team that would have come from somewhere else that isn't the Midwest. Cause I think that's also part of it too. Mm-hmm. Some of it is just a Midwest disposition versus, you know, the East coast or even the West coast or anything else. And there's really, you know, a lot of it is just people that went through the, the, the journalism college at Nebraska. I mean, you can, you can kind of draw a line that journalism college has produced a lot of your Nebraska media members. I mean, you just start at the world Herald. You have, you know, when he was there, Lee Barfnick, you have Sam McEwen, you have Dirk Chatlin, you have Evan Bland, you have, um, you know, you jump to the Journal Star, it's Sipple, it's Christofferson. Uh, you jump over, and now BC's obviously with us at, at Husker 24-7. Brunt's graduate from that college. BC, myself, Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, like <laughs> all of these, you know, everyone. you're working. <laughs> it all, you know, comes from... Uh, from that journalism college and, and a lot of it similar training with the daily Nebraskan. And so I, I do think because you get that sort of opportunity and, and almost all of those people got that opportunity early in their careers, it's really not a reason for you to branch out and leave. So I think you kind of get that sort of entrenched uh, aspect because of mm-hmm. that. Okay. Speaking of that, and I've taken way more time than I promised and I'm sorry about That's that, fine. but l- I talked l- l- too much. Let me ask another question or two. Uh, speaking of that, um, you've been in the business now for a while and you do audio and you do radio and you do podcasting and and you work at a, a, a digital site. You know, you don't work at a place that prints, that puts ink on paper. What do you think are the things that our students absolutely need to know when they step out of our building and try to make a career of this? Say yes to every opportunity that you can financially do. I mean, I, I think one of the one of the biggest things that you can do as a as a student journalist, if you want my job, for instance, because that's the only experience that I have. I can't speak to if you want to get into to broadcasting or if you want to be on Sports Center or whatever. But if if you want a job like I have, you got to take the opportunities as they come up. And that means for me, it was being at the Daily Nebraska and open doors because I met people there that then would become relationships that I, when I left college and I left at the worst possible time in 2010 when newspapers were cutting staff and, you know, and I wanted to work for a newspaper. My dream was to be a, a columnist in a large daily metro. That's what I wanted to do. And it's never going to happen. I'm okay with that. I think life has turned out pretty good for me otherwise. Um, you know, so it, it was, it was the experience of working at a newspaper. I couldn't get an internship. I applied, you know, I was rehashing this with my wife for some reason or another. I think I applied for over a hundred different internships. My, after my, uh, junior year of college going into, you know, for that summer in between junior, senior year, got turned down by everything, everything from the Norfolk daily news and the Hastings Tribune, uh, all the way to, you know, the San Jose Mercury and the Cleveland plane dealer. And, you know, I, whatever it was, little rock, Arkansas, uh, Pensacola and Florida, anything I could find that had a link where I could apply. I got turned down because they just either weren't hiring or the ones where they're like, yeah, well, we'll let you come out here. You want to take it unpaid? No, I'm not going to go live in your city unpaid. I don't believe in that. I don't, I don't believe in that at all. Um, so, you know, it, for me, it became like the Daily Nebraskan was kind of like a life raft. Like that was the connection I had into the media world. And I had to make that for everything that was worth. And a couple connections there allowed me to get going with Mike Babcock at, at Huskers Illustrated and then Aaron Babcock at that time. 
and they gave me a part-time opportunity and I made that work. And then that part-time opportunity became a full-time job because guess what? I was around. So you have to put yourself in a situation where you can sort of be around. And that that's my experience with it. If you're not blessed with the ability to have already made those connections and internships and everything else, then you sort of have to put yourself around it because one day there's going to be an opening and someone's going to need to fill that opening. And the most valuable thing that you can be at 22 or 23 years old is available because they don't have to pay you as much money. And then you can go work as much as you possibly can and prove your value after that. But you get into the door by being around and by saying yes to opportunities and working and not just being, well, I didn't get this. I guess I'll just go to law school now. You know, so you, you've got to be willing to, to work off of what didn't work. And then to, to find those opportunities. And I think that's what's allowed me. And then, you know, you get into the business and it doesn't end there. You have to be, when Chris Schmidt calls and says, hey, I need somebody to come on the radio to talk about these recruits. You got to be willing to do it. I didn't have any radio training in, in 2011 when he first told me I'm coming on at 3.35 on a Wednesday to talk about these kids. I don't know what the hell I was doing. And now I'm, you know, unfortunately on too many radio shows and <laughs> ruining everybody's eardrums so you just you you just need to to put yourself in that opportunity and then learn and build and and grow and and go from there i mean it's 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 not magic i'm not better at anything than anybody else i just happen to put myself in those situations and then when given the opportunity you know i i worked at it i i wish i i look back at it now john and i think I had a lot more work ethic. I feel like in my twenties, I don't know if that's true or not, but I just felt like it was constantly like, I got to prove it. I got to prove it. I got to prove it. Now I don't want to lose that. And I don't know that I have, but I, I think about that a lot. And I think if you keep that mentality, regardless of whether it's media or anything else you want to do, you're going to find some success somewhere. Yeah. And, and the thing about it is, is it takes you less time to do your job as you grow older and learn it and you refine your ability than it did. Yeah. You're more efficient than you were when you were younger. So, um, but yeah, the energy levels and all of that, um, you're, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. The best thing that happened to me working in a large market to, to refine my skills was that every single day I knew I had to show up and do a really good job and be prepared for it um, because everybody else was doing the same. I never felt like I could ever mail it in. And I, and I hope that whether you work in Norfolk or Hastings or New York or Lincoln or somewhere else, you have that attitude where you never can mail it in because you're not going to get better as a performer, as a journalist, as a broadcaster, anything. If you don't say every single day, I've got to show up and do a really good job. Even was if you don't ever, feel that pressure. Was there ever a time where, you know, five years in, six years in, eight years in, you look around and you suddenly kind of start to realize you always view yourself as a young guy. And then suddenly you're no longer the young guy. Like I, you know, I'm 35 now and I've been at these Monday press conferences since I was 22 years old, 21 years old. And I've always, and a lot of the faces are still the same and a lot of them are different. But I, for the longest time, always viewed myself as like a young guy. And then one day you look around and suddenly some of the faces are the same. Most of them are different. And turns out a lot of them are younger than you. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's just a wild, like when that hit me, it hit like lightning. For me, it wasn't so much looking around the room and they're younger than I am. It was how much younger the athletes are you're talking to. <laughs> uh, you go into a major league um, clubhouse and they're 15, 20 years younger than you are. The managers are younger than you are. Then one day you realize the president of the United States is younger than you are. And then you, then that's when you think about it. But otherwise I haven't really thought about it in, in, in that respect. I do remember though, vividly the time in my life when the light went on over my head and I said, okay, I can do this. I'm pretty good at this. Um, I, I understand how to do the job. And I do vividly remember when I was about 27 years old, when I thought, okay, I've been pounding this really hard. I've worked my butt off here. I, I don't make as much money as I'd like to, but I get it. And I'm going to keep doing it because it's going to work out well. I remember that vividly. Um, so anyway, 
That's all. Mike, thanks so much for your time. Um, yeah, thanks for your time. I really enjoy chatting with you. I really enjoy your view of the world and and your ability to you know look inside what we do in the media business and and I appreciate it. Thanks. <laughs> I'm glad that somebody does because you know I could go forever. So good that we got a cutoff point there. There you go. All right, Mike Schaefer is the Nebraska recruiting analyst for Husker 24/7 Sports. He's been good enough to spend a bunch of time with us on Watch the Media. I'm John Schrader.